0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please meet me in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. The text reads like this. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp to the body, so if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light, if, if then the light in you is darkness, How great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on.
1: Let's pray. <coughs> we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you know our needs and you provide for us. And the need of the time before us now is opened ears, open hearts to receive the implanted Word. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us according to that need. And cause your word to bear fruit in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A preacher was once asked, Why are you always preaching? I'm not always preaching he said. In fact, there are only two times at which I do preach. Which two times are those, he was asked. In season and out of season. I know some of you might think this morning, Hugh, this is not the time or the season to be preaching a sermon on giving. Have you not seen my utility bill for December. But since preachers are called to preach both in season and out of season, I must deliver this message today. And let me explain why. For about a year now, we as a church have been praying for us to be able to hire a full-time evangelists, not just to share the gospel, because that's what we should all be doing as disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, but actually to equip and to mobilize us on mission by pioneering new evangelistic ministries that we can all get behind practically and prayerfully. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, and he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And that's the purpose for this role, for an evangelist to equip us as Hoylake Evangelical Church to evangelize Hoylake with the saving message of Jesus Christ and him crucified for sinners. But as I mentioned on Thursday night to the members, we are presently about £7,300 per year short of being able to do that. That works out to £609 per month. And so this will be the the first sermon that I have ever preached on giving, where the goal is for you to either start uh, monthly giving to this church or for you to increase your monthly Uh, donation. Now, no one should ever apologize for preaching what is in the Bible. But before we get into our passage today, I have two clarifications to make. And the first clarification is this. My sermon today, this message today, has nothing to do with a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. I say that because I know where some of you come from, And no doubt you've heard the verses we're going to look at today, tortured out of their context and made to say things that they just don't say. I may be many things, but I am not a prosperity preacher. My name is Hugh Willis, not Joel Osteen. But second, the second clarifier is this. If you start giving today or if you increase your monthly donation to the church, that will make no difference to my salary at all. So let's say, for example, that we as a church grew by 100 people this year. Let's say we doubled in size. Let's say our income doubled. That would have absolutely no effect on my budget whatsoever. And so I'm not preaching this sermon for me. I'm preaching this sermon for the gospel of Jesus Christ to spread like wildfire in the town in which we live and in the town in which we worship. So to that end, we're going to be parachuting into the Sermon on the Mount. And the point of our verses today is this. Following Jesus involves fearless generosity. Can I say that again? following Jesus involves fearless generosity. Generosity. I say fearless generosity because Jesus spends the bulk of this passage settling the nerves of the disciples who were listening to him preach and were thinking in the back of their minds, yes, Jesus, amen, Jesus, but what about my fill-in-the-blank? Yes, Jesus, but what about my savings account? Yes, Jesus, what about my retirement fund? Yes, Jesus, what about the inheritance that I long to live uh, leave to my children? Yes, Jesus, what about inflation? What about my British gas bill? And so Jesus wanted to reassure his disciples that fearless generosity is the way to go as we follow him to heaven. Following Jesus involves fearless generosity generosity. And number one, I want us to see fearless givers have lasting treasure. And I say that again, fearless givers have lasting treasure. Look again, At verses 19 to 21, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so to cultivate courage... In the hearts of these anxious disciples, Jesus contrasts the treasure that fear, fearful hoarders store up for themselves and the treasure that fearless givers store up for themselves. To, to foster fearlessness in the souls of these anxious hearers, Jesus compares what the fearful hoarder keeps with what the fearless giver a cruise, So as to say, choose fearless giving. It is the better of the two options. Jesus says, fearful hoarders store up vulnerable riches. Moth and rust destroy earthly treasures. Thieves may break in and steal them. So why would you be preoccupied with storing up those and, and even in our age of cyber security and sophisticated security checks and underground bank vaults and fraud prevention teams that serve and work for our banks, our treasures here on earth are still vulnerable. A really good friend of mine uh, back in early 2000s, he owned an estate agent. Uh, he had employees. He drove a BMW to work every day. And then 2008 hit, the bottom fell out of the property market, and he lost everything. And in the providence of God, as I was preparing this very moment, this very point in the sermon, I noticed a headline on my newsfeed that said this, quote, robber steals $300,000 from security van while accomplices ask for directions. But Jesus has more to say. Because the knockout punch is really verse 21, where Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is, Jesus is saying, if your soul treasures earthly treasures, then your soul will be vulnerable too. And if your soul treasures treasures on earth, then your soul will be destroyed when the earth is destroyed. So even if moths and rusts and robbers and thieves don't get their dirty hands on your money, and even if your property and assets rise in value until the very day that you die, if your soul is found tethered to those things, then your soul will be destroyed when the world is destroyed in the end. However, Jesus says, there is a better option. Because there are greater treasures to be had, Jesus says. Not vulnerable riches, but everlasting riches. And not earthly treasures, but heavenly treasures. And those heavenly treasures refer to our rewards in heaven that again accrue to our account when we sacrifice treasures here on earth for the sake of the kingdom of God. And in heaven our treasure will always be safe. Never vulnerable. Revelation twenty one twenty seven says, Nothing unclean will ever enter it. Not moths, muff, not rust, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, like steal it. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so Jesus was saying to the disciples back then, and Jesus is saying to the disciples gathered here today, You can be fearless in your giving because fearless givers end up with more in the end. Fearless givers receive everlasting riches, not vulnerable riches. Fearless givers are are in on a better investment, not a worse investment. Which means, friend, if you are a fearful hoarder, you are the one who is missing out and will miss out in the end. I know you've all heard this one before. Just pretend you haven't, okay? But for my work in the States, I had to attend a, a conference once. I was in grant making and this was a conference for other grant makers. And on the first night, I sat down and had dinner with a man who owned a property uh, business or a real estate business. And just somewhere in the course of the conversation, he just said to me, yeah, so right now, Hugh, we own around 170,000 properties across the U.S. and Canada. And, and trying not to spit out my drink, uh, I said, sorry, what? 1,700, and he said, no, 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 170,000 properties across the U.S. and Canada. And he said, Hugh, I went into business to die rich, and now it's my ambition to die broke. I'm finding the most faithful and the most fruitful ministries in the Middle East, and I'm giving everything I have to see them flourish in their gospel work. He said to me, even my children are just going to receive a token inheritance, but my estate All of my funds are going to the spread of the gospel in the Middle East. Now, in view of what Jesus says here, ask yourself this question. Is that man wise or foolish? Jesus says, wise. He's wise. Why? Because in giving away the lesser on earth, he's going to receive the greater in heaven. So think about the opportunity before us right now. If we'll give toward the work of the ministry here and have this evangelistic role filled, then we will end up with more in heaven. In the end, less on earth, but since our lives are a two-second vapor, who cares anyway? Because we're going to have the eternal reaches of heaven to enjoy the treasures that we store up for ourselves there. And friends, who's to say that some of those treasures and some of those rewards will be the sinners saved through this role of an evangelist? Worshipping side by side by them will be priceless. Second, fearless givers have a better master. Fearless givers have a better master. Look at verse 22. Uh, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy Words there in verse 22 and 23 about the I sound both incomprehensible and unrelated to what has gone before, but thankfully they are neither. You see, in Old Testament or in Hebrew, Hebraic thought, the I reveals the heart the way a lamp reveals objects. So listen to Psalm 119, 36 and 37. The psalmist writes, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. And so the point is this, if a person's eye is healthy and has a single focus on what is good, then evidently his inner man is healthy and the direction of his life will be bright. But if a person's eye is unhealthy and focuses on what is dark, then his inner man is dark and the direction of his life will proceed into greater darkness. And the relevance of all of that to giving is simply this, A healthy eye looks at wealth and possessions as opportunities to serve God as master. An unhealthy eye looks on wealth and possessions as opportunities to serve money, his real master. And so do you see Jesus is taking us behind the eyes. And he is showing us two masters that rule over a person that treasures two different things, money or God. And Jesus is saying, if you view or see giving as a burdensome, joy-stealing duty and view or see materialism and comfort as supremely desirable... Then your soul is in darkness and your master is money. Let me put it to us like this. If you want to know who your God is, look at your bank statement. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, some of us are thinking, gosh, Hugh. So because you want to hire an evangelist, you're going to stand up there and tell us that we're not really Christians if we don't give to this church. Is that your strategy? Wow. Friends, These are not my words. These are Jesus' words. And not only that, there is never a bad time to check our hearts. I'll admit before us all today, this was an unbelievably hard sermon to prepare. I'm not talking about exegesis. I'm talking about the fact that Jesus had his finger on my chest. And these words drove me to my knees. And these words drove me to repent and these words drove me to call out for God to cleanse and to purify my heart from all unrighteousness in the blood of Jesus Christ and to wash me of my love affair with comfort and that was good for me. And can I also say this, repentance in this area is a greater need than hiring an evangelist do you, do you know what I mean by that? Let's say, for example, if, if this sermon doesn't do what I hope it will do, let's say this sermon doesn't enable us or cause us all to, to increase or to start giving to the church so that we can't hire this full-time evangelist. However, it does cause you to pray and to repent on your knees and to start giving or to increase by whatever it is that you can, that will still be a good thing. Why? Because master money is strangling some of us to death. That's why. And he is a cruel master. He promises so much and he delivers on so little. And so what I want to do is in the next few minutes, I want to grab the mask that is on his face and I want to rip it off for us. And I want you to see who master money really is. Master money leads us to temptation. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Uh, That is, Master Money whispers in your ear, Hugh, trust the figure on the screen that appears when you log into your mobile banking app. Uh, Let that figure settle your nerves. Uh, Go to that figure to find rest and peace and comfort and security. And, And Hugh, if you're going to spend, spend to treat yourself spend to make a statement that says to everyone that you know i have options i've made it in life next master money traps you paul says those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare see when you hear messages like this one and you silence your conscience and you reason with yourself that actually jesus words don't apply to you and you don't have to obey them then what happens in the end is that you get yourself stuck in a spider's web from which there is no escape. And you know the reality is the enemy can welcome us into a gold mine and then lock the door behind us. Not only that, master money damns us. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and darkness. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Do you know, those words right there would be a fitting epitaph for Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was doubtless there to hear every word that Jesus preached about money on the Sermon on the Mount. And in the end, money was more precious to him than was Jesus Christ. So that a rope may have choked his neck, but master money had choked his soul long before. What then should we do? We should weaken his grip on our lives by giving him away. The more you have, the stronger he becomes. The less you have, the weaker he becomes. Now, I'm very sorry to have to tell you all this, okay? But a few months ago, Gloria brought home a cat. That's what she did, okay? Gloria brought home a cat. And I can't stand this cat because he can't stand me. (laughs) I hate because he first hated me, okay? So I can be walking up the stairs, and this cat, not realizing that I own the house, will reach through the bars of the banister and start scratching my head like that. That's what he'll do. And I said to Gloria one night, I said, sweetheart, if he were the size of a puma, we would all be dead. (laughs) But think about it. He's not the size of a puma. And therefore, we're not dead. He's small. So we can't do any real damage. If he were the size of a panther tigress, and Gloria did Google this to get me uh, this illustration beefed up a bit, 10 feet long, 660 pounds in weight, he would destroy me with ease. But our cat isn't that big. So we can't really do anything. And you know, it's like that with our money, the more we accumulate, the greater his grip will be on our souls. The more we give away, the weaker his grip becomes. Friends, you and I need to have our boot on his neck. And we need to look him in the eye and we need to say, you work for me, I don't work for you. I will use you to worship my God. I will not use God to worship you. God is my master. You will serve him. Perhaps you're here today and you know that Jesus is talking to you. You're church members. You've been church members for years, for decades maybe. Perhaps you and your wife, you both work. Perhaps most of your children have left the home And you know what God commands and you will not obey. Friends, I want to say this to you today. It is not too late for you. It's not too late for you. Master money has you. He's tricked you. He's your master. Make no mistake about that. His claws are on your neck, but he hasn't yet damned you. And if you will reach for the sword of God's word and ram it through his heart, then you will be a free victor in Christ Jesus. Give him away and you will be free to worship with your wealth. But lastly, and this is where Jesus really focuses, fearless givers have a trustworthy father. Fearless givers have a trustworthy father. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now notice the word, therefore. At the beginning of verse 25, at the beginning of verse 31, at the beginning of verse 34, Jesus is telling them and Jesus is telling us why we can be fearless givers as we follow him. He says, listen, you can be fearless givers because your father values you and he therefore will provide for you. He's saying, Friends, disciples, don't think that if you obey God in this area of your life, he's going to leave you high and dry. He values you too much for that. He provides for birds. He'll provide for you. Birds don't have sophisticated strategies of amassing resources. They just sort of casually flutter down off their nest. They find a little clearing, and they happen to just dig up a worm that God had put in their place that very day. And Jesus says, if God places worms in the right place for birds, will he not provide what you need in the right place as well? He's made you in his image. He's endowed you with Dignity and value and worth and purpose. He's made you the very crown over creation. He'll provide for you. And then he says, Consider the lilies. They don't own fashion brands, they're not worried about how many people are liking their posts on Instagram, showing off their new dresses or their new trousers or whatever. They don't have to, they don't have to worry. God just clothes them and he decks them out with more beauty than Solomon had who reigned over a kingdom whereby pieces of gold were more numerous than stones on the ground. And if God does that for something as frail as lilies or grass, then will he not provide for your immensely valuable body? And then Jesus says, you can be fearless givers because your father knows what you need and therefore will give it to you. He's saying, listen, God is never distracted. God is never busy. God never takes his eye off what he should be concentrating on. He never forgets. He's aware of what we need and he's promised to give it to us. It's why David could write in Psalm 37, I've been young and I've been Old, yet I have, ne- I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. And Paul wrote in Philippians, God will supply every need of yours according to the riches, his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And friends, standing this side of the cross of Christ, can we not also say this? If God took care of our greatest need of redemption then will he not also provide for the lesser needs in this world? We needed redemption through the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sins. We didn't think that we needed that. We didn't even want that ourselves. And yet God gave his son to be our savior, to shed his blood to meet our greatest need and so if God did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all will he not also graciously give us with him all things well the answer is so obvious it doesn't even need to be answered put God first Jesus says in his kingdom and the expansion of his reign and all these things will be added unto you so church family as you consider the remaining 7,300 pounds per year That we need to raise. And as you consider your part to play. Ask yourself this question. Why wouldn't I help with this? More treasure in heaven. Less danger here on earth. And more joy that comes with trusting God as father. Or or ask yourself. What would I have to lose in giving? I'll have earthly treasure to lose, but heavenly treasure to gain. I'll have more safety because master money will be the size of Hugh's cat and I'll have my heavenly father to trust. I'll have anxiety to lose and a happy confidence to gain. So friends, before I pray over this and before I pray over this vision, let me just say at the table on the way out of the main doors on the left, when you exit this room, uh, there are gonna be some envelopes And in those envelopes, there's uh, a little card with all of our details that will enable you to set up a standing order. That's all you need to do that. And then in the envelope as well, there is a a gift aid form. And so if you're a taxpayer uh, and you fill out the gift aid form, it means that we're able to claim 25 pence on every pound that you donate. Let me pray and then we'll sing together.